Good morning. Scripture reading today is John 12, 1-11. Six days before Passover, the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed, anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Well, the email said, you can check in online anytime with Delta Airlines for your return trip home to Edmonton. So I opened the email and, uh, and said, oh, they made a mistake. They have me returning home one day earlier than I booked. I better check my paper tickets to see what it says. And surprisingly, my paper ticket said the same thing. I was sure they had made a mistake. Because in my mind, I had been saying to everybody for two or three weeks, I'm coming home on Tuesday, not on Monday already. The simple reality is I'd been reading the ticket wrong for the two weeks I was in Michigan. And the online check was simply an abrupt reminder that my time was up <laughs> sooner than expected. Such a little thing to process. But a variety of emotions connected to it. Lynn said, Dad, you could change it. Change your ticket. Angela said, Dad, uh, we could do that. We can go online. We can get a change here. Marg said, whatever you think best. She was staying another week regardless. Whatever you think best. So she left it in my court. It was simply an adjustment. A day earlier, just a day earlier. I already had 13 days, so it was just a day. Our six-year-old granddaughter said, Grandpa, you can't go. I won't let you go. And she proceeded to put me in a, in a hold, and I couldn't walk away. Our four-year-old grandson withdrew and didn't want to come out and say goodbye because he was processing the change. He decided to play it safe with by playing his game on the iPad and sitting on the staircase and not coming out when Grandpa left. Grandpa went back in and uh, said, Bye, Miles, see you later. And he looked down and, Bye, Grandpa. The emotion was dealt with by avoiding the situation. And then the little two-year-old simply waved and said, Bye, Grandpa. She's still learning the impact of emotion. As I drove away in the rental car, I was thinking of Ann Boskamp's book, One Thousand Gifts. 
And here's a chance to say thank you. Thank you for love. Thank you for emotion. Thank you for joy. The article in the magazine, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, assumes that you have to get to every spot in God's creation before your life will be really complete. But what about the wonder of a hug and the tear of a friendship appreciated? As I drove away, I thanked God for this trip, the a time to meet with a dear friend and fellow pastor, Scott, who has been incapacitated by an affliction called myalgic encephalomyelitis, better known these days as ME. He informed me of a newer diagnosis or an additional diagnosis, not sure yet, Lyme disease. A little tick from a deer embedded into his muscles and then his organs and then not discovered for 15 years. Heavy doses of strong antibiotics are gradually clearing the system and his improvement is remarkable. From eight hours of productive energy a week, he now has 30 hours. He is beside himself in ecstasy. He will conduct the wedding service for his daughter this weekend, probably yesterday. I will not forget his words. I would not trade what I have experienced in the past 15 years. I'm sure my eyes told on me as I was glued to his thought and his countenance. Can you be serious? You wouldn't trade this experience? I didn't ask him to explain because I knew that those 15 years had brought him into an intimacy with God that he might never have known. He chose love. He chose high, not low. He chose connected, not desertion. And I felt that Eucharistio, that gratitude for my friend and the journey that God has him on. And as I drove away, I revisited the, the time that I had with Angela's pastor in beautiful Petoskey a pastor who is passionate about serving God and planting churches, a big vision. And now his nitty-gritty of actually doing a capital funds drive, you know those things? And constructing a building after years of traipsing from one venue to another. Now it is time to build, and the task looks daunting. We sit and talk, and I tell my stories of TCC, and he can see the joy that I feel towards this congregation and the vision that we've experienced. And I feel part of what God is doing there. And I give thanks for how God keeps showing up in their midst. I feel captivated by his grace and his love. And that's the word I feel for this morning. Captivated. And the word takes us to a, a story in John's Gospel that Michelle read for us. The story is in John 12, and it shows up in three other Gospels. It's found in Matthew 26. It's found in Mark chapter 14. And it's also found in Luke chapter 7. And you'll have to read that one. It's a little more specific in John chapter 12, especially because the key character in the story is named. This is Mary. And this is the story of her captivation. She's captivated by the one who gave her life meaning. 
She never visited a thousand places, but she encountered the one who, who, who captivated her, who captivated her and changed her life forever. A week ago, I drove downstate to a place called Midland, Michigan. Anybody ever been in Midland, Michigan? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, oh, one, a couple of people have been there. It's the home of Dow Chemical, as you know. Huge, huge production center. And I attend a day at the Global Leadership Summit. Liz Wiseman asked the question, who are the multipliers in your life? And who are the diminishers in your life? Interesting terms. Hadn't ever thought about it that way before. The people in your life who accelerate, accelerate your thinking and your energy. The multipliers. And the people in your life who drain you and make you feel stressed, the diminishers. In our first church, we had a couple who took us in, so to speak. They were twice our age. I was 26 years old as a pastor, new in ministry. They seemed to understand what it must be like to be a pastor and pastor's wife in your first church a few thousand miles from home. And they became multipliers for us. So they became a safe place for us to ask questions, to share our struggles, and to be ourselves. And it's always wonderful when God gives you a safe place. I wonder if Jesus needed a safe place on this earth. Just musing. Here he was, far from home, yet in a world he created, but with a people who didn't understand who he was. In that largely unsafe world, he found a brother and two sisters who were safe for him. They were Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Do you know how often he seems to graduate back to their place? But can this really be the same Mary? The sister of, of Mary, uh, of Martha, in all four accounts, can it really be? The major objection is that Luke 7 points to the characterization of this woman as immoral or a, a sinner while Mary of Bethany is described as a devout, godly follower of Christ. If Mary had once been a particularly notorious woman of questionable morals before encountering Jesus, there's even a greater reason to believe that she became a particularly notable woman of God after believing in him. And I think it would be just like Luke <laughs> to stress the sinfulness of her former life while telling the story of her unrestrained worship of Jesus in the presence of a legalist. It could be that this is the same Mary in all four stories. Now, some think not. But that is not the crucial part of the story. Listen to John 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. <laughs> Would you expect any less? Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. But it's what happened next that is the focus of the story. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And so the house was filled with fragrance. Now, isn't photographers? Get your camera ready. Isn't this a scene waiting to be photographed? 
You know this, Mary. We remember the tension, the little tension that arose between her and Martha. Because Martha was the task person, remember? And Mary was the relational person. And Mary just wanted to spend every moment with Jesus. And Martha wanted to make sure that everything was just right. Just right. Martha had a job to do, get dinner ready, and she assumed Mary should feel the same way. Dad gummit. It was a tension. They both loved Jesus, and they showed it in different ways. But Jesus said that Mary has chosen the better way. Not to put Martha down, but sometimes we need to figure out what's really important. And ultimately, it is to love Jesus and to worship him and to bring our best. So once again, Mary is at the feet of Jesus. She spends a lot of time at the feet of Jesus. Every time we see her, it seems like she's at the feet of Jesus. She loves it there. She loves to listen to him. She loves to serve him. And in this particular case, Mary takes on the role of a servant because she anoints the feet of Jesus with precious oil and she wipes his feet, what? Using her own hair. Oh my. She just forgets herself. She's oblivious to others around her. And she is so deeply engaged with Jesus that she pours out her heart as she pours out the perfume. Instead of using a towel, she uses her hair. Can you believe the extravagant expression of love? I think she sets everybody back in the room like, Mary, have you lost it? Mary, you're overextended. Mary, she's lost in her love. There's a boldness and an intimacy that perhaps is scandalous to everyone except Jesus. And sure enough, reaction came swift and sure. Judas said, that perfume was worth a, a year's wages. It should have been sold and, and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So we're getting a little insight into Judas by focusing on Mary. Let's think about this experience of worship that Mary engages in. Captivated by honest worship. Friends, it's always helpful to monitor our hearts lest we slip into dishonesty in worship. I met a man that I had the most delightful conversation with. He was in my office on business, but he was interested in my role as a pastor. He saw the Bible on my desk. He was interested to know about the Bible and the translation of the Greek text into English and the variety of versions that we have today. He said, what's all that about? And after a wonderful conversation, I asked him for permission if I could inquire of his church life. He, he said, oh, by all means. He said, I, I'm, I'm free to talk. He said, after going to a certain mainline church for many years, he start, decided to stop going. But why, I asked. Well, because of all the ups and downs in worship, you know. Up one moment, down the next, on her knees, up. And he said, I, and the prayers that I learned by heart, I could just say them. Just ask me, and I could just say them off. He said, I discovered that this is just a compartment of life that has no bearing on the rest of my life. The people I know don't translate this into Monday. This is our Sunday ritual. Why do I do this? Monday, it's back to normal, and we live totally different lives. 
I, he said, I see people who go to church and yet they don't live anywhere close to what they said on Sunday. They prayed all these wonderful prayers. It's a deal that we do. I thanked him for being so honest. He wasn't outgunning to put down the church. He just couldn't do it anymore. When we come to God, it would be so easy to wear a mask, to not have any intention to give something from our very heart to God. We can easily come in disguise, bob up and down. Pastor says, would you stand? Would you be seated? And we're bobbing up and down. And, and then out the door we go. And I know it has nothing to do with any particular church. It has everything to do with my own heart. Our worship could be demonstrative or very quiet. doesn't matter. But there exists the possibility of disguise. We could put on airs and pretend that we're engaged in, in worship when our hearts are distant. You don't know my heart this morning. I don't know your heart. I don't know what you're covering. I don't know what, you don't know what I'm covering. We don't know. She is scandalous, so to speak, in her expression. Mary teaches us about honesty and authenticity. And oh, that my heart, friends, would be anywhere, anywhere close to that of Mary's. Anywhere close. She's oblivious to anyone else. She leads with her heart. Don't you love that? And she loves Jesus dearly, and it costs her, causes her to anoint the feet of Jesus with this very costly perfume. Do you know how expensive this perfume is? In Mark's gospel, it said that the ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii. A denarii was one silver coin, and 300 of those would be nearly a, a, a year's wages. Now, friends, if you put that into 21st century context, $50,000, 60000 70000 how much do you make? $100,000. Lavish gift. Extravagant. Captivating. And that I would even think to honor Jesus with that kind of worship? That kind of costly gift? To pour it out as an act of honor and respect and worship according to the culture? Okay, some said wasteful. Wasteful. Judas said that. With my, my pragmatic bend, I would have been right behind him. I would have said, oh, come on. Let's be reasonable. Jesus wouldn't even want that. Let's be practical. Yeah, that would have been me. It always has to make sense. You couldn't begin to calculate the love of this woman, Mary. She poured out her love. Cost was no factor. Through the years, we've been in the middle of two crunches. One is the crunch of being expressive in worship and the challenge to release, express, engage. We get stiff in worship, cultural. We hear the voice to relax, forget about everyone else, and sing. Express your best without encumbrance. And the other voice comes from the more liturgical side of worship. And sometimes people look at us in the free tradition and say, your worship isn't very dignified. It's too simplistic. It's all heat and no light. It lacks history and theology and depth. It has no dignity. It has no solemnity. <laughs> Crunch. But the point is, 
It's not about a form of worship, free or liturgical. It's about the heart. It's about engagement. But just because I'm in my more comfortable setting doesn't mean that I can't come without a disguise. So this is what I learned. However I come to God in worship, I need to come with honesty. Things aren't always hitting on all cylinders when I come to worship. Sometimes my heart's heavy. Sometimes I'm distracted. Sometimes I'm hurting. But I can tell God that. Come with a heavy heart today. I'm weighed down today. But I love you. And I worship you. And I know you receive me. I wouldn't trade these last 15 years, he says. I wouldn't trade what you've been teaching me. Mary's shameless honesty is, in worship is a good reminder to come as you are and pour out your heart. No one is measuring your spirituality. Give your best. Sometimes our best is costly. Honest worship. Sometimes it's forgetting about ourselves. Not being so sensitive to everyone around. It's, it's pouring out our heart to God. If you do it differently than the person beside you, just be who you are. Just engage your heart. Be honest in worship and respond to God as God wants you to. Captivate it. Martin Luther called the woman's tears heart water. Heart water. Love it. Tears of gratitude soaked the Lord's feet as she sobbed uncontrollably. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Her actions depict worship so profuse and so unrestrained as to border on self-humiliation. In the, in the ancient Near East, only the lowest slave touched the feet of another, and almost always for washing. A woman's hair represented her dignity, and if married, she never took it down in public. So the woman's hair touching Jesus' feet represented the most extreme act of humility possible. And then the woman added perfume. This was pure nard, a highly prized extract from the spikenard plant native to India and imported at great cost. Normally the perfume was intended for anointing one's head, but she never anticipated that she would be so captivated so overwhelmed and so grateful that she would use it on his feet. Captivated by uncalculated worship. There's a, there's a, a similarity between Mary and the woman who gave her last two coins. Remember that story and how that pleased the heart of Jesus? Luke chapter 21. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything. She has. Uncalculated. Gave it all. Mary came to her Lord out of a heart of generosity. Judas was standing there with a frown on his face. Mary gave the equivalent of 300 pieces of silver. Do you remember how what Judas, Judas sold out for? 30 pieces of silver. Mary is so engaged in, in her heart of worship. 
She doesn't care who sees. She doesn't care what people think of her. It's not about people. It's about her own relationship with God. And Judas could be pictured with his arms like, what's going on here? Mary comes to Jesus with a humble heart. There are no pretenses. She doesn't have an agenda. She wipes the feet of Jesus with her own hair. That would be so humbling today. Worship songwriter Brian Dirksen's son, Isaiah, suffers with a fragile X syndrome, a genetic condition which results in physical, intellectual, emotional, and behavioral limitations. And I came across a, a quote from his book, Make Love, Make War. Brian reflects on the day he and his wife first received medical confirmation of Isaiah's condition. In the midst of his heartache, as Brian considered turning away from worship ministry altogether, God taught Brian a lesson that instead carried him further into his ministry. He writes, after receiving the test results, I stumbled around our property, weeping, confused, heartbroken. At one point, I lifted my voice to heaven and handed in my resignation. Got him through being a worship leader. I'm through being a song leader. He said, when I was quiet enough to hear, I sensed God holding out his hand and inviting me. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you go even with your broken heart? For who will relate to my people who are broken hearted, if not like you, who are acquainted with disappointment? Reflecting further on this word from God, Brian writes, he said, I used to think people were, were most blessed by our great victories. But now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak of how they walk through the deepest valleys. The world lifts up the victorious and the successful, but God lifts up the brokenhearted. You see, Mary had been just through one of the deepest valleys of her life. Her brother had died, and Jesus wasn't there. But then Jesus came, and he was resurrected from the grave. It was so powerful. It was so powerful. Understand that Jesus had been, uh, Mary, had been uh, Martha, Mary had been in a valley, and she had such a, a hurting heart. And Mary knows who Jesus is. She knows who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And he is not some lofty, elusive God who can't be found or touched. This is her friend. This is her Savior. And she has uncalculated love for him. I asked the gentleman who came to my office, well, why don't you go to church any longer? And he told me he doesn't like what he sees. He doesn't like what he sees. He doesn't like the inconsistencies of what others do on Monday after all they have supposedly said on Sunday. But I think more than anything else, he hinted, he doesn't like what he sees in himself. And he doesn't know how to change that. And I pray he will meet Jesus. Finally, captivated by thoughtful worship. Of course, there's uh, much discussion these days as to what a worship service should look like. Should it be highly emotional? Should it be strongly cognitive? Should it be somewhere in between? Should the sermon be like a college or university lecture? Should it be all emotion? 
Should the worship service adapt to the prevailing market? Should we recognize the tastes and preferences of the diversity of people that attend? <coughs> and who attends the worship services? And how do you cross, cross the boundaries of generation and culture and styles? Oh, it can be complicated. <laughs> we knowingly or unknowingly attach a measuring stick to every worship service. One of the criteria through the years is when you get out to the parking lot today, after brunch probably, you say, did you get anything out of that? I didn't get anything out of that. I don't know what he was talking about. You're just being honest. Mary's example suggests that perhaps we have our wires crossed. Worship isn't about getting something. It's about giving something. Worship is bringing our offering, our offering of love. Whether it's all about heart, where it's all about heart and, and, and not about posture or tradition or style. True worship is being at the feet of Jesus and pouring out a heart of love. We'll do it in different ways. Some would suggest that, that Mary's approach sounds more emotional than logical, more demonstrative than cognitive. I wouldn't write this off as an individual who is very emotional in their makeup. Not completely. Look at, look at verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. That wasn't a slight to the poor. That was a statement of mission. Jesus knew that Mary was getting it. She was understanding that this is the Son of God. And the Son of God is on a mission to give his life. And she knows what's coming. She knows what's coming. She may not know timetable or schedule of the week, that, but she knows that something's coming. It's going to shake the world. It's going to shake the world. She knows. She's very thoughtful. She was the only one, it appears, who was absorbing the moment. In a very short time, Jesus would be taken from them. And she was taking advantage of the moment to be with Jesus, to pour out her love, to tell him how blessed she is to know him, how blessed she is to know him, how overwhelmed she is for the tough assignment that he's now facing. How amazing for Jesus to have a person like her who gets it, who identifies with what's just around the corner, captivated. I hope I'll never grow Yeah, too accustomed to being together in worship that I lose the captivation. Don't you? That I don't get it anymore. Take it or leave it. What I've discovered is that it really doesn't matter how we worship. What is most significant is that we are captivated and then transformed. Captivated and then transformed. If it's only a weekly routine and nothing changes, then I understand the man who come, came to my office and was soured by the experience of attending church. There is a uniqueness every time we come to worship God. Never grows old. And it's never routine. 
when we bring something to God in worship. And Mary is our model of worship. She took the moment that she had. You have this moment. She bowed in humility at Jesus' feet. She's not afraid to bear her heart. She's, she's not afraid to express herself in emotion. But it is action and devotion that is fueled by theological reflection. I didn't quite get that before. She knows who our Lord is. She gives her worship on the basis of who Christ is and what he's doing. And my sense is that her whole life was transformed. That her whole life was transformed. Thoughtful, vibrant, meaningful worship. Captivated. I hope you are this week.